Royals and Ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! This is Pollyanna McIntosh, and you are about to head deep into the woods with the feral inhabitants of... The Boo Crew. I know where she is. Is God still there? Yes. And he loves you. And he wants to save you. You are here to witness the power of God's mercy. Get them out! Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a genre-bending writer, director, and actor. She played Anne, a.k.a. Jadis, on three seasons of AMC's The Walking Dead and has an incredible list of work in film and television from her feature debut in Andrew Vanden Hooten's 2005 sci-fi horror film Headspace, the witch thriller Nine Lives of Mara, the terrific anthology horror film Tales of Halloween, to the comedy adventure Land of the Lost, Phil with James McAvoy. Starred in Sundance TV's Happen Leonard, the network's highest rated original series, and has even lent her distinct voice to video games like Middle Earth, Shadow of War, and Dante's Inferno. Her role as a feral stranger found in the woods by an all-American family in Lucky McKee and phenomenal novelist, the late Jack Ketchum's 2011 film, The Woman, took over Sundance that year, shocked audiences. Screeners were sent out with sick bags. It topped the New York Times' favorite movies poll, earned her three Best Actress Awards, and just generally blew people's minds. She's back with a standalone sequel to that trilogy. This time, she not only stars in it, but wrote and directed it herself. It's called Darlin. If you're listening to this at time of release in theaters and VOD this weekend, we are honored to welcome Pollyanna McIntosh. Thank you so much for making the time to be here today. We know it's insane for you right now. Thank you for having me. I've never done an interview quite like this where I've got to go around your incredible haunted mansion first. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little theme park ride. Oh, that's awesome. Can you talk to us a little bit about the earliest memory of being impacted by the horror genre, whether it was a movie or maybe you saw a ghost or... You know, that's a good, really good question. And the first thing that comes to mind is The Wizard of Oz. Which wow. I was yes. absolutely terrified of that witch. Yeah, yeah, she was so scary. Scary as all hell. I would have visions at night of those feet out from under the house. I still dressed up as a witch every single Halloween. I just absolutely loved it as a kid. So I don't quite know how those two things came together. But probably like most horror fans, like the things that scare you, you know, you take close to your heart and have fun with. I also remember watching Watership Down completely against my mother's orders. Yeah. And when I was five years old and we lived in Portugal at the time and they would show films in this little room in the in the sort of, you know, club like swimming club that my parents would go to at the weekend that I would go to with them. And I wasn't allowed to go in and watch it. And I remember going outside the window and watching anyway and opening the window a crack so I could hear it and just knowing that mum was right. I mean, just being in a mess of tears. Did you have like nightmares after that? Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't talk to anyone about it because I'd done you know, the wrong thing. <laughs> right. And I read the book years later and yeah, even just hearing the song makes me cry. So not exactly traditional horror movies, but certainly horror movies to me. 
That's amazing. It's so funny. We were like going through Disneyland with the kids the other day and you go through even the Snow White ride and the Pinocchio ride and That's there's scary. elements of horror in yeah. all yeah. that stuff and yeah. all those children's stories. Oh God, yeah. You're reminding me like my dad used to read uh, me and my sister's Baba Yaga, a oh, witch. Yeah. yeah. Which is probably another reason I loved witches so much. She was horrifying. I remember her sending the kids off on a little boat across the river to go back and they thought they were going to be safe and she put them in a sieve so Ooh. they would drown, you know. Things like that. Is there any witch movies that, like a list of recent witch movies that you you love? I really love The Witch. Yeah. Um, My friend Kate Dickey is in that, playing the mother in the family. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing Scottish actor. I thought that was really strong. I kind of liked, (laughs) I liked that comedy recently where they ended up being witches. The one with all the religious element to it as well. The nunnery with um, Aubrey Plaza in it. Being a total bitch the whole time, which is always <laughs> funny when she does it. Oh, and it's got like Fred Armisen and it's got, you know, people will be listening going, ah! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, yeah, we'll Google we'll it and put it in and post. Like we all know what it is. I'm trying to think of any other witch recently. Not that I can think of recently, but another thing that comes to mind is the witch in Willow. Yeah. Yes. When I was yes. young, yeah. how terrifying she was. Babies in Danger are, are a really good way to... Oh yeah, scare people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about the the movie The Witches? Oh my god, Angelica Houston. Yeah. I love that film. Oh, I, I love, love that. Film. Me too. Oh my god, I show my kids it and they love it. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of gateway I, horror yeah. for our family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, like total visuals. The They're shoes, remaking the square it, feet. Right? I heard that. Yeah. yeah, I'm always a bit wary of <laughs> yeah. remake, but you know, you got to stay open minded, don't you? As a curveball, I was just thinking of another movie. Did you see the autopsy of Jane Doe? No. Oh. Okay, I'm not going to say anything but else. that's one I've heard about, but when I hear the title, it sounds like somebody was murdered, and now they're pulling apart the murder. I'm right. not so good on the old serial killer situation. It's Th- not this one, what you think. This one will flip, yeah, flip, okay. flip the genre okay, on its head it. for you. Yeah. I think I'll you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> so your vast array of credits dips into all kinds of stories, from comedy to thriller, romance and drama, but you do keep coming back to horror. What about it pulls you there to the extent that you even chose it as the language for your own first story and feature? The horror genre has been really welcoming to me and really generous to me. I've found in it such a great community of like artists and also fans who are also artists in many cases. I think it's because genre gave me those great roles and gave me those great scripts to, to say yes to or to audition and get or whatever, you know. It's a genre that I think a lot of people malign as something sort of less than and I'm so glad with things like Get Out where social issue horror is like a buzzword now because that's right. you know relevant to Darlin yeah. and what, what, what I made Right. but I also kind of feel like nudging those people and going well I obviously social issue horror has been around for years you know right. I mean great so great gore fest in the 70s yeah. also with social issue horrors you know yeah oh you go um, back all the way to like uh, the Dracula and all, all those movies yeah. and, you know back to the 50s and I mean it, it seems like it was always there you know? Yeah, and it's like when we're talking about fairy tales, it's like this allegorical sort of, you know, storytelling is often quite gruesome. It also has a great reach. It's very translatable across lots of different markets to go in a business term, you know. But that's also appealing that a large audience will get to see it. Because if you have something to say, you want to say it to a lot of people, you know. But I don't think it's ever been as cynically thought out as that. It's not cynical. I go back and forth. I have two brains. <laughs> the woman with two brains. It's not that I sort of have planned it so strategically as such, but when you look at it, there's just so much to offer in the genre, you know. Talk about how your work in The Woman, the second installment to this trilogy, changed your life in terms of your career and what you learned from exercising and perhaps developing your own skills and pushing your limits 
as a creator. Thanks. Yeah, it was a huge breakthrough for me getting that movie because it was the first time something was being written for me, which is just, you know, blows your wee Scottish head. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Lucky's work. And I was really excited to work with him on it. And then as we got to about four months before shooting, he shared the script with me and said, give me notes, not just on your character, but on everything in the script, which I'd never had before. And boy, did he ask the right person, because I was like, I'm ready. (laughs) And uh, we, we back and forth tons over that four month period and found each other to be so much on the same page. Things, you know, that would have been really challenging had we not been on the same page, like the way that in which the rape scene was being done, you know, what, what, what we were talking about in there and, right. and, and how, how cool I felt that was the way in which it was being done. And I wasn't somebody who really wanted to ever do a rape scene in the movie, but that, that was a different, different animal, literally. So, yeah, I, there was a lot of trust built in the collaborative process. And not to put myself down, but like I was the actor, he was the creator of the film. And for him to sort of give me that opportunity to speak my mind and and discuss and feel part of that process so early on was like, I think it gave me confidence, you know, as well. And I learned a lot because I learned through him, but I also learned my own that I was good at it. You know, I also learned that like I had something to offer in that department. And so in many ways, a woman changed the world for me of making film. And I often say a joke that Lucky kind of ruined me for everyone else because every script that came to me after that, I was like, well, let's just have a chat about this. Collaborate. Oddly, I guess not oddly, because it's a fact, but like, honestly, I have never had a problem collaborating with people since. I've never had a kind of, you know, well, that's not your role. That's not your job in this. Probably because I've also chosen who to, you know. Exactly. It's like when I did Burke and Hare and I had a tiny wee role, I wasn't going to be like, oh, John Landers. Uh, Have you thought about this? This bit's pish. (laughs) But yeah, I've found people really open in the business to discussing and talking about stuff, especially when most of the people that you're, you know, doing this with are men and they're far from being, you know, coming at it from a misogynist or sexist perspective, even if there is ele- there are elements of that in the script or in the work that I often find it's more because of their experience on stuff that they haven't really thought about before. And then they say, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. That's interesting. That's cool. Let's do that. The reason I say that is because I think it's really important that, that, you know, women get collaborative like that with guys. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be a battle. It can just be a conversation. And this business needs more female voices. And I think that one of the ways that I found I could be that just even as an actor was just saying, well, could she be a bit more nuanced or could we like look at like her background a bit more or could we take out her being called a bitch maybe three of the five times or, right. you know, yes. usually all of them. As a go. woman, I um, appreciate yeah. that. That's yeah. amazing. Like, right. but it, and it's, and yeah. it's like we do, I think when we recognize the power we do have, it can be very useful as well as other people having to change too. Yeah. I think that just my message is always like, don't be afraid to have start that conversation because more often than not, I have had, oh, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way before. Rather than, oh, shut your mouth, woman. You don't get, you know. Well, that's great. What do you think was the secret sauce that you were able to apply to that role that, because it's a fine line of the character of of the woman. It could either be played silly and campy if you cross the line or it becomes believable and terrifying. I think it's so much about, again, collaboration. I mean, if the DP hadn't been so skilled at making incredible pieces of light, you know, out of wood and bulbs to like make something work where previously it wouldn't have done on under the budget that we had 
it wouldn't have been as great and as impactful if Lucky hadn't been the director that he is. It, you know, obviously wouldn't have been. I know that he was also given a lot of space by the producer to really fully realize his vision. And, and I think and he always spoke about how grateful he was for that. And for me in the role, you know, I, it, all the elements were lined up for me to feel free. And that was a huge thing. And I think really the secret sauce is Ketchum. Not so secret, I suppose. But when I read Offspring, his novel, I'd never read a horror book like that before. And I felt so under the skin of that character just from reading the book before right. I even played her in Offspring and then played her in The Woman. So I had this love for her and this understanding of her from back then, you know, from that book. It's just something about a novel, you know, you can just get more into it. You, obviously, it's more more than just a script, you know, you can really live in it. Yeah, yeah. you can really live in it and you live it in your bed alone with it. Under yeah, the house, you know? yeah, exactly. In, in terms um, of, you know, this character you play, did you go back and research all about Farrell? people i did i'd already done a lot of that research for offspring and further for the woman and i'd kind of done my studying animals and going into the woods alone and running around with a knife and you know doing weird exercises and stuff. And, <laughs> you know so so in preparation for the film i kind of did realize oh hey i've got a role to play as well but then i realized well i know exactly what she is and what she's doing and I right. bet i'll step into it also having written it you know it helps I did research a lot about feral kids again in order to get inspiration for writing the script. And it was a it was a story about a priest who had claimed to find two feral girls in India and had sort of advertised that he'd found them, you know. And uh, it turned out they were just kids with special needs who hadn't been treated well. Oh, geez. And he knew this. And so I thought, well, why did he do that either for money or fame for himself or for the church? And so that was really the sort of seed of the right. idea for Darlin. Luckily, all the research I'd done as well for the role, Lauren Canney wanted to know for her role as Darlin. So I got to pass on a lot of that to her, right. which was cool because she's a very inquisitive actor. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she she's was fantastic. really amazing in that role. Oh, I've, always, so you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with this because, I mean, there are rumors, but maybe not rumors, maybe it's real, mm. that back in the day, I don't know if it was in this country, in the US or other countries, where they purposely studied these feral kids but not because they found them somewhere mm. because the, you know, all these stories go around that they were actually forced to be raised in a cage yeah, and to see if they could, you know, develop from animalistic behavior to human like without having that nurturing, you know? Uh, yeah. I would absolutely believe it. I think there's a lot of instances in which scientists have told themselves that demeaning of one person is good for the research overall and the health of the rest of right. the people in the future. And I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that documentary about the, the twins that were separated at birth. And found uh, each other later. Yes. And that was a case. I don't want to spoil the doctor much, but that right. was a case of people making decisions that harmed and impacted children right. for the sake of research. And I think a lot of them still stand by their choices. Like that so, yeah, lady I believe it. that told her kid she was sick. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. That woman had mental illness like that. She is. It's got a specific yeah. name. I forget what it was, but you would have heard it. Yeah. Munchausen's. Munchausen's. Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, that's what yes. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Which and I previously thought was just a line from right. the film. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Know, it's, it's real. It's some sort of projection, projecting that yeah. problem onto somebody yeah. else. You know? Yeah, like, we're complicated weird animals what was it about the character of the woman that made you want to return to tell another standalone story in her world and, and in this time in your words the way in which I, I got the chance to make this film was that the producer from the woman and offspring came to me and said we're ready to do a sequel and i was like great he goes will you direct it so that was how that happened i don't know that i would have come to it on my own you know i had made a 35 minute short before which is a dark comedy called perfect which i intend to finish as a feature this year nice thank you it's going to be really fun. Um, she's another 
maddest bats character. Um, <laughs> and I thought, what an incredible opportunity! But then I, I sort of, you know, I said, well, "Who's who's writing it? What's the script? You know, what happens?" Because I'm still always also conscious of like, is anything going to be explosive? You know, just, yeah. I'm just, I'm so like right. mother hen over casting and audience alike, you know. And I just obviously wanted to know what the story was going to be first. And and he said, "Well, I'm I'm not sure yet, but we're looking for you know the right writer to do it." And I said, "Well, I think I might be the right writer to do it." So, so he went off and conferred with Lucky, who, like I say, had had those four months of hearing my brain spill out and had also seen some of my other work that I'd written. And he said, yeah, of course she should write it. She knows the story better than anyone, knows this character, you know, and where she should go with it. So that's how it happened. And of course, as far as why did I say yes? I mean, obviously, I, I love that character and I have so much respect for the story so far. And I, and I, I knew that the audience would be excited to see it. And I, I've had fans come up so much and say, when's the next The Woman coming out? You know, so I was like, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> we just saw it. And yeah. it, it's amazing. It, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's you so like good. It. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was yes. really fun. It'd be awkward if you guys were like, no, nah, it was right, yeah. exactly, right? That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's one of those movies where I honestly did not know where it was going to go. Which is great because it's yeah. like in this day and age, you know, we're spoiled by they show too much in trailers, you know, yeah. or it's, everything's so predictable. You know, this movie I love because it's not predictable. Oh, thank you. you know, I saw, to hear. you know, I saw the opening scenes and I thought, okay, this is going to be a slasher movie. I get it. I get it. And it's like, nope, there's, there's commentary <laughs> in this. Like, nope, there's darkness and, you know, other things that, that develop further on in the church and all, you know, yeah. things. But it's so well done. It's refreshing to see something different. Thank you. That's yeah. lovely to hear. I predictable sells and different doesn't <laughs> always sell. But I had a very strong love for what we made in this film. And I really wanted it to be that, to be an unusual film and, and to have its own weirdness and to have its own personality. And I'm very glad that we got that way. <laughs> now you can obviously watch it as a direct sequel to the woman in the first film, but talk a bit about how you blur the seams mm. so that it's part of the same cloth, but it can be digested very much on its own. Yes. Yeah, thanks. I think that's, a, that's such a strong point for me to make because I don't want people to feel that if they haven't seen The Woman or Offspring, they can't enjoy this film. Mm-hmm. It's not at all how I wrote it or intended it. And luckily, the critics are saying, oh, you don't have to have seen it. You know, some people, obviously, they're huge fans of The Woman and I'm excited for them yeah, to I see th- it. I think you get more, though. If you see the other ones, yeah. you do get more. Yeah, you definitely story. get more, for yeah. sure. But it's also something you can come back to and research yeah. right. sort of backwards, which is um, right. which is also fun to do. And one of the reasons I say that is because the woman isn't available in the States right now. And so it, it's a little frustrating for <laughs> those who are trying to find it, you know, right. before watching Darlin. And I say, don't worry, you will be able to understand this movie perfectly well without it. But for the woman fans, I kind of took little elements from the film and did little homages. And they just came naturally in the writing, but were really, really fun to shoot. Like when Sister Grace is walking through the school and we're introduced to that character, we see her from her nun's habit, the bottom of her feet up yes. and previously... <laughs> In The Woman, we see Miss Ratone in her high heels and short skirt right. walking up the middle of the classroom with the board school children. So that was a similar shot that I used to kind of homage that. The pink gloves that Darlin puts on in the, in the care home when she's introduced to her duties, right, right. <laughs> um, which I love her face in that scene. They were an homage to the pink gloves that Christopher Cleek uses in The Woman to wash the woman with. And that wonderful squeak that Smedic, our sound designer, Andrew Smedic, added in there with it. (laughs) And the bishop wears those same gloves in a dream sequence moment, which originally I'd I'd actually wanted Sean Bridges to be Chris Cleek in that scene. But I realized it would be, and this relates to your point, you know, to your question. I realized not long before shooting, if Sean's in there, 
playing this character that you see once, it's not going to make any sense to people who right. haven't seen the woman. And I couldn't do it. And I can't tell you how relieved Sean Bridges was. <laughs> I fully support you. I would have been totally there. I would have been so happy to do it for you. But I'm so glad I don't have to go into his headspace. I'm so glad I don't have to be Chris Cleek again. <laughs> because that character is just so horrific. It was a real task and challenge to go, well, how am I going to write a standalone sequel about that includes a feral cannibal <laughs> um, and, you know, possibly a, a no-eyed dog girl from the woman as well. So, so right. there were things I kind of, you do get a bit of socket in there, but it's not so like, who the hell is this? Part of my challenge with bringing the woman into the city as well, and for fans who didn't, hadn't seen the woman, I'll be coming to this for the first time. It's like, how do you deal with a woman who's almost completely silent? And that's one of the reasons why I wanted Darlin as the lead, because I wanted to watch somebody evolve. And I wanted a chance to be able to really see it from her perspective and for right. the audience to connect with that experience. And I thought as a teenager, eight years later after, after the woman, you know, she's going to be going through that stage of life where you are coming to terms with so much about yourself and you're just really discovering your body and your sexuality and your, your personality. And you're, you're, you would be rebelling anyway, let alone if you were stuck in it care home, you know, the way she is treated. I was really interested in that stage of a teenage girl's life when other people begin to sexualize you in a way that you're not yet ready for or don't have a concept of because you're not an adult in this society. You're a young person feeling their freedom and enjoying themselves with, with yourself, you know, wanting to be free and in charge of your own body and destiny. And then the limitations that I felt as a young teenage girl of other people's view of me at that time was just like, I mean, the shit that you get in the street as a young developer. I'm sure yeah. right. you can probably speak to this. Oh, yeah. It's is, crazy. Uh, and it's shocking. It is. It's hard. And I'm raising two girls and I'm yeah. just so scared for it. Well, they've got you, so they'll be just... <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> the interesting thing about this movie, too, is with that character of Darlin, all those elements are amplified, which yeah. is just incredible to watch. It's very, very powerful. Even prior to that, I mean, she was forced into sexuality, it appears. No, actually, I, that's not actually what happened at all. But I don't want to give away too much of the story. Right. I was really trying to do a twist on that concept because that was completely her choice. That was her own experience of it. Okay. You know, I, I, um, I, I interpreted that differently. But yeah. And I see why you would. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's funny at one point somebody said to me, why don't we put in like pleasure sex in that scene so it's clear? <laughs> Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> so working on this movie, I would assume you were working on it while dealing with a very hectic Walking Dead schedule. Yeah. How did the two kind of... Well, you know, I finished the script. Producer took it out to Dark Sky and MPI and they, they loved it and wanted to make it. But they needed to shoot it before the end of the year. We, you know, I was on set for Walking Dead and we finished at the end of November. Uh, generally, we finished, you know, around Thanksgiving. And this had to be shot before the end of the year. Yeah. So oh, that was wow. the only time I was going to have to shoot it. So I was in pre-production while still shooting the show wow. and casting and doing all that stuff and bouncing around between Atlanta, LA and Louisiana. You're not even really supposed to leave the state when you're shooting walking. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe okay, we won't tell. <laughs> Nobody's going to listen to this, right? Um, so yeah, so that was pretty, pretty interesting. But it also meant that I got to do read-throughs with my castmates and stuff like that, yeah. you know, which was also really cool and they're a supportive bunch. So, And then, you know, it was really a case of am I going to be safe to get down there and shoot in time for finishing the show? Right. And it all worked out great. Oh, that's awesome. And you brought some of your Walking Dead castmates along for the ride yeah. as well. Yeah, we've got Cooper Andrews, who plays Jerry in the kingdom in Walking Dead. Yes. And he plays Tony, who's like the father figure of the piece. 
the true father figure of the piece. And we've got Sabrina Gennarino, who played Tamiel, and Thomas Francis Murphy, who played Brion. And they were my right and left with Jadis in the junkyard. So I think it's kind of fun that I cast them as like the prostitute and the cardinal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just their job description. More complex characters than that. But there's a thing in Britain where we do tarts and vicars parties. And okay. I just cast them in those roles. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's wild. Later. Yeah. And then I have a Happen Leonard alum, uh, Jeff Pope, who was in Happen Leonard with me. He played Chubb and he plays the clown in Darlin' as well. Mm. He's obviously quite unrecognizable. but um, That's a great scene, yeah. by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I don't want to spoil really it, fun. but it's a yeah, great scene. <laughs> I, I, how about discovering Lauren Canny, who was just uh, yeah, she's oh, amazing. She's so she's awesome. so great. She's yeah. such a talent. And she's actually nominated for the Bingham Ray Newcomers Talent Award at the Galway Film Festival in Ireland, um, which is going to be screening tomorrow night. Oh, wow. There. Yeah. So she's over there. And it's something that they have actors, directors, producers are all eligible for. So it's really big deal. I'm That's very great. excited for her just to be nominated. Is, is, is wonderful. And she's more than deserves it. If you really want to go into it, I actually had Annalise Basso cast in the role, mm. who was in Ouija Board. She was the lead in yeah, Ouija yeah, Board yeah. and she was the teenage redhead daughter in um, Captain Fantastic. And she was... She's done lots of things. And she was in Oculus, I think. She was a young Karen oh, Gillan in Oculus as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which Hannah Stanbridge was also in, who was in Let Us Pray. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Annalise is huge talent and, you know, wonderful, looked great for the role, all of those things. Um, her schedule was insane. And when it came to this kind of, oh my God, we actually have to shoot it like right now. She was like, can we do it next March? No, we have to shoot it right now. So I was in this kind of, I was just thinking, how the hell can we find our darling when we already have found yeah. her and lost her? She has to be redheaded. She has to be an incredible oh, wow. actor. Yeah. She has to be able to collaborate really well with everybody around her and be really focused and be really cool. And then there's that special something as well, you know, and that you believe that she's been raised this way. In walks Lauren Canny, because I'd gone with um, our casting director in L.A. was David Guglielmo, and he... He helped find Sister Jennifer and Darlin. And we had um, Lisa Marie Dupree in Louisiana finding the rest of our cast, who was also incredible. So David Guglielmo had been sending me these, you know, images and reels and stuff and IMDb links to various redheaded actors in, in, in L.A. And some of them were more known than others. But again, she's got to be so young. So Lauren Canny was one of my favorites from what I'd seen. But she had jet black hair and she's Irish with an Irish accent. So I'm thinking, OK, hopefully she can, she can do this. I meet her in the in the lobby of the of the place we're auditioning and she's like the coolest chick ever. She's Aww. like funny and gregarious and outgoing <laughs> and, you know, goofy and 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 confident and um I could just tell she really cared as well. And so I was so excited to see her in the room and I thought, hold yourself. Is this the first person? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, just hold on. And sure enough, she killed it in the room. We had her do that feral scene, very feral scene early on, and we had her do the scene in the bishop's office. And it was just Jeez. startlingly great. Wow. So she was our darling. And, and I obviously saw the other women that and young women that day. And, you know, there's back, there's back and forth and da, 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 da. And you, you figure it all out. And I just said that she's the absolutely the one, you know, she's got to be the one. So they had her come back in and do uh, another read. And now oh, that's another story because I was I was flying in from somewhere and I was Skyping with her from the airport. And oh, my God. David, while he was doing the tape with her going, you've got this is great. Just do this a little bit more, you know, because I really wanted to get the role and I knew she was right for it. But, you know, it's not my money that was on the line. Sure. So, yeah. you know, people do their due diligence and sometimes it takes a bit longer. And luckily they totally saw it, too. So so she got the role and we've been besties ever since. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, she really sold that performance. I mean, yeah. a lot of it being nonverbal. 
Yeah. You know, just the way her, she looks or turns and moves and walks, yeah. you know, and the evolution, what she was in the beginning and what she's becoming. And she played it really well. Yeah. She's a super talented woman. She was in a film with Juliette Binoche and Juliette Binoche said that she is her favorite young actor working today. Wow. wow. I was like, just take the young actor, man. She's the best. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to see so much more of her. Yeah. I'm sure you will. I'm, I'm thrilled. I think this award nomination is going to be really helpful to her over there too. And I hope the film does well for her because one of the greatest joys for me as an actor doing after doing the woman was I just had so much more eyes on my work and right. that was just of such a benefit to me and I want the same for Lauren because she absolutely deserves it yeah it's a real gift to pass on talk a bit about the development of your character in this because your character just develops this swagger oh yeah you know <laughs> this yeah. deliberate justified <laughs> gore this real confidence it's really fun to watch <gasps> thank you so much that's so fun I haven't heard it described that way yeah, that I, that swinging hair, that you know, yeah. that getting back into her body, I just I just love it because of course in the woman she was she was chained up for so much of it, and I remember mm-hmm. when I was walking through, I think I was walking through the woods and we shot out of sequence, and Lucky was like, "Ah, I've never seen you move like this before." I'm like, that's because I've been chained up the whole time. I'm free now. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's why. That's what it is. That's what it is. And uh, she just has this, you know, this animal body, which is just so fun to get back into. And in this case, like I was saying before, she's so nonverbal and certainly non-English language. And I didn't want to really use so much of that sort of Celtic type language that she has mm-hmm. because I just didn't feel it was right for this one. So that's very limited. And oh, she only ever says darling, you know, of course, in, in sort of, English quote unquote language. I thought, who would she be able to connect with? I don't want to just see her in the shadow. I want to see her like get into something. She's going to have to, you know, the story's going to have to be sustained in the city. And I thought, well, of course, if she was a homeless person standing by the freeway looking like that, it's probably the most normal and most quiet way that she could be in a city. Yeah. And I just got really into it. And these homeless women who discover her are like, yeah, fair enough, you don't talk. Okay, you're filthy. All right, fine. Well, you don't smell too bad, so we'll have you around, you know. And so there's just this very accepting um, part of it. And, and, you know, I'm a sucker for unusual, lovable characters. And, and Mona is, a, is, you know, the sort of leader of this, this other kind of clan of homeless women who are also outside of society and also have to live and survive in, in their own way outside right. of, you know, they're not getting any help from anyone. And I thought, when I cast Mona as, you know, Eugenie Bondurant as Mona, who plays the tiger lady in, um, in the Hunger Games movies, she is so tall and she was just the perfect person again because she's brilliant and she's got such an unusual look. And then also she's kind of taller and possibly scarier than the woman. You know? she's, she's very dominant, confident because she has this sort of mental health issue where she just sees things very plainly. And speaks her mind and the woman's intrigued by her. And I wanted a little challenge to her, you know, because I had to stop her from killing at some point so yeah. she could, yeah. get, you know, get connected <laughs> so that we could have a story with her. I love um, that scene where she gets the gun. Oh, yeah. I'm like, she's got a gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't it hot? <laughs> right. <laughs> What's the makeup process like for both the woman and Darlin? Oh, I mean, you're covered so in, yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But how long does that take? It takes a good while, depending on how much time you have. Yeah. <laughs> it takes about an hour and 15 if you're going fast. It doesn't start off that fast for new people doing it. But it's because it's about layering and drying, layering and drying. So wow. you've got different colors and tones because you don't just want to look, you know, like you're in blackface or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Like old yeah. fashioned, you know, single color makeup would look a little that way. It's got to look like real dirt and, you know, that it's, it's grown and living on you. Putting those fake claw toenails on, you know, doing all the rest. I just I just got acrylic nails and then they stay on for ages. I just had 
cut them to these sharp points and made them messy. And it's all about with Lauren as well, making sure that because you're not shooting in sequence all the time. So, you know, making sure she's got the right nails on and the right for different, you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And different lengths of hair and all that stuff. So we were lucky with our team. There were times when I had to do the makeup myself because you have a different crew call time than you do for the director. And I needed to be there working when crew call was, you know, I needed to be there. Like the scheduling is difficult when you're on tight schedule. Like so, so there were a couple of times where I came in just early myself and didn't wake anybody up and just, you know, I mean, obviously they knew it was going to happen and just did the makeup myself so that we weren't making people do overtime. Oh, wow. Which is, I mean, gosh, I've done it. I've had it put on that many times now. I'm like, I should be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the awesome thing about the makeup is that some of these scenes are shot in darkness. And, and if it's not done right, your character just gets lost, you know? Yeah. But the lighting was so perfect that, I mean, the performance is also sold in the eyes because sometimes all you see is the eyes a little yeah. bit more than everything else. And you're like, oh, she's something's about to happen. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I love the woman's uh, steely stare because it also is, is sort of contains ages of, of experience right. as well. You know, the teeth as well is a particularly big part of the makeup process because you've got to put all that yellow and brown and black on so it doesn't just all look again one color and you've got to dry it so of course really great photos of me like you know with, a, with my shoulders bare and like getting a hair dryer on, in my hand <laughs> like, to, to dry them out whilst they're doing my hair you know whilst I'm looking at the, the storyboard for the day just making sure I've got everything in my head right often you have to sort of suck your teeth to dry it as well so you're like because <laughs> you can't have any you know wetness in That's your right. mouth otherwise yeah. it won't dry and then it'll slide off and it slows things down and, it, and you know you don't want white teeth in there it just would you ruin the whole thing so a lot of the time I was directing with kind of half of the makeup on and like the wig off and then my multicolored jadis hair tied back Oh my gosh. You yeah, know. that's right. You got to make sure yeah. all that stuff is off. <laughs> right. Wow. And I've got like no wig on, but I've got a completely gnarly looking face and teeth and nails with, of course, the dirt makeup on and the nail stays. I mean, you can't get rid of that stuff. So even on days I wasn't playing her, I still had filthy nail looking nails. And I'm directing like little girls in the church, you know, and I'm thinking, why are you acting like I'm not nice? <laughs> I'm nice. Why are you look standoffish? This is what more can I do? How can I relate to these children? And then I catch myself in the mirror and go, "Oh yeah, well, there's that." I look like a Still terrifying witch. <laughs> do you find any challenges in, in uh, directing yourself? The challenge for me is that you know, it, it, because of time, sometimes you can't watch your stuff back. We really were on an incredibly tight schedule, and um, I heard great advice from Alan Rickman. Actually, not personally, I, I never knew him. I saw him once in a restaurant, thrill of my life. But I heard an interview with him where he said the the best advice I'd give to directing yourself as an actor is make sure you give yourself enough takes. Because, and again, this is probably quite a British thing, you will want to not give yourself as many as you give everyone else. But make sure you do, because you're also in your movie. You know, so yeah. just uh, make sure you do that for the good of everybody. And that sort of translated really well for me. So I was like, one more. No. So I think thing of that, I did. I did make sure that I took care of the performance and made sure that I could, you know, that I knew whether it was working or I could see what I could see. But, you know, setting up the shot before and then stepping into it and then checking and then, you know, going for it. Some, sometimes you can also just feel it. But, yeah, if there's one thing I could do over, it would be to have seen it every frame of that on playback just as I was watching through the monitor and with the actors when with everything they were doing because there are just little things like continuity things continuity, and continuity right. exactly yeah. thank yeah. you that you know you do have to see as a director because it's only you who's as anal and, and overlooking the whole thing so it's really your job to right. make sure you can see that when you watch the film 
it goes down as seeing the work of someone who really enjoyed directing it. Oh, thanks. Yes. Did you really enjoy directing oh, it? And do you want to do it again? God. I, did I enjoy directing it? Absolutely. I, I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And I definitely will not be stopping anytime soon. That's I'm totally awesome. addicted. That's so Thank great. you. That's so great. Um, yeah, it was, it's it just that, that leadership role, which is also so collaborative, is just a joy, you know. It's a real joy. It's, it's, it's especially joyful when you are under an incredibly tight schedule and budget because you are working with people who, if they're doing a good job, they are fully committed. And we certainly had that on this cast and crew. You're going to be available at San Diego Comic-Con this year. I'm going year. to be available. Available. <laughs> available for fans. Oh, available yes, to, to the fans. <laughs> to meet and sign things as well. Yes. Right? I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for mentioning it. I'm going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. I'm going to be signing Darling posters. People who've seen the movie and bring a ticket stub or proof of, you know, iTunes or Amazon purchase or whatever can, and that would just be a screen grab, can come and get a free Darling poster signed and a selfie done as well. And then everyone else I'm going to be doing meet and greet with and signing their Walking Dead stuff and whatever they want. I just want to talk about this movie and share it with everyone. And I'm excited to see to see the fans and to share it with them. That's incredible. And then there's Walking Dead films on the way. And there is a storyline to get into. There is a storyline yeah. to get into. I would love to get into it. I can't announce anything just yet because there is nothing to announce right now. But, you know. Gimple has, himself has said it would make sense that Jadis would be in the first film. So. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. Fingers yes, crossed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then what else do you got coming out that you're working on right now? Um, thanks. I just made a five minute short, which is part of an anthology series called Death Sember. Nice. So it's 24 different directors. Lucky McKee's doing one. A whole bunch of great um, filmmakers are doing them. Some I haven't heard of. Some Europeans. It's like, it's just a really great mix. Oh, so I've fun. Seen, yeah, the trailer's out already for it. And uh, it was really fun to make. So I took my real life fiance up to a cabin in the woods and made him, did awful things to him. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's great. I seemed to enjoy it. So. <laughs> Horror anthologies are yes. so fun. Yeah. Like, Tales of Halloween was amazing was, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You teaming up so with Lucky fun. again. Yeah. So in this one, I, I've written and directed it and I'm not in it. For anyone listening, there's a little moment where you hear my voice. I'm not playing a role exactly. And it's not just me going action and it's badly cut out. Right. It's a little moment. <laughs> but yeah, just like an advent calendar, it's 24 windows. So it's 24 different directors. And I've got a show coming out on AMC called Lodge 49, which the first season has already aired. I loved it. And it's on Hulu and AMC to stream right now. And then on the 12th of August, season two will come. And that's when I come in. I play Clara. What a cast, man. Seriously, you guys have to check it out if you haven't already. Nice. It's not horror. It's just really smart, funny, weird human stuff. Oh, I'm going to follow you into the dark. <laughs> Anywhere you go, I'm watching it. <laughs> it's so Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, it is. That it is. is. Very good of you. Good, good reference. Since Halloween's coming up, sort of, in like three months, like what is your... LA Halloween starts in like August. <laughs> yeah, Come I'm on, so honest. excited. What is your typical Halloween? I really love to dress up. I never like to do the same thing anymore. When I was a kid, it was a witch every year. Now right. it's always something different. What were La you last year? Last year, I went to the big parade in Hollywood. Oh. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, and that was really fun. I went as Mr. Rogers. Oh, oh wow, nice. oh, that's amazing! And my my fellow went as um, Daniel Stripe, the tiger. Oh my gosh, I wow. need pictures. Oh, I'll show them to you. After. Yes, um, that's impressive. I thanks. Wow. I felt that we really needed a bit of uh, joy and love last year, you know. And I was just feeling a strain. And, and Mr. Rogers is obviously such a light, so yeah. I wanted to go as him. And he's dead, so it still counts. Yeah, that's yes, right. Because yes. I believe in scary, obviously, for Halloween. Were you a zombified Rogers or no? You were just. I didn't, a, you I paid, didn't go that far. Right. Yeah. Were you no, paid, I, paid I, 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 
I did a lot of this and it was really fun. I like to get kind of make costumes out of bits and bobs. You know, I don't really like to buy a fully fledged fancy costume. I like to make it out of weird stuff. So Mr. Rogers was all from the Goodwill. And how did you do the tiger? That wasn't my costume. So I didn't have to. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about that one. Rules. So I, uh, I just got the, uh, he just got the, um, a full tiger suit with, yeah. with the head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the mascot really, outfit. Yeah. I like really went for it. That's great. And that was really fun. And it was funny because I actually picked up the tiger outfit from the, the Halloween store for him because he was working and the lady was like, oh, that's so cool. You're going to go Shiva from The Walking Dead. And I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <kind of. laughs> Did she recognize you at all, though? I think that was the yeah, point. That was the yeah, thing. yeah, she was yeah, like, yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. yes, but no, but yes, cool. <laughs> and then I think, I think this year I'd quite like to go, the idea that I have so far is I'd quite like to go as um, the mother in um, Wild at Heart. Oh. You know, the, yeah, Laura Dern's mother yeah. in that. She has all the red yeah. lipstick all over her face and the blonde hair and the and the nightgown and she's crying and she's got the nails and the phone. I think I might do the whole that that's going to be awesome. The witchy shoes going back to the Wizard of Oz. Look at that. There you go. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Wow, you guys get creative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys, what are you going to do this year? I know you're doing something special. Oh. Well, we have four kids. Yeah. So, so it's like taking the kids trick or treating, pretty much. One of our kids was born on Halloween, so it's oh our birthday. God, that's so cool. So we usually and she hate, but she hates anything remotely <laughs> Halloween esque or scary and or scary. So disappointing because so, you're such horror fans, right? Like insist on having <laughs> keeping having children until you had one that was on Halloween. Exactly. That's pretty much. Yeah, it was like a it was a C section, right? And it was like, all right, it's going to be close. Let's, <laughs> come on, let's book it you on sick Halloween. And then, yeah. and then I think the doctor was like, I don't do, I'm not going to do Halloween. What? And, and I was like, like God, yes, you are. You got to come in. We're so close. Yeah. And then we get, we get a, a little girl who hates Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. That's, a, that's a movie in itself. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, she wants us to take that doll cabinet down and burn yeah, it. But secretly, she's <laughs> plotting your murder. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, if you met her, you would be like, yeah, yeah exactly. she is. Delighted faces from both of them, by the way. <laughs> so uh, one more time, where can everybody see Darlin' as soon as they can? If you go to Dark Sky Films... Dot com, you will find all the cinema listings for Darlin' right there and the trailer's there as well. So it's quite a nice way to get people there. Dark Sky Films. And if they go to their local cinema, hopefully it'll be in their state. It's, it's everywhere from Brooklyn to Beverly Hills, across the country from Friday, 12th of July. And it's also available on iTunes and Amazon and all digital platforms. So if you can't find this film... You are not looking. <laughs> this might be feral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pollyanna. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew. It's a TSP creation. Bye.